All right, welcome back. Another edition. Um, what a weekend. I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that's one of the best sports weekends of the year. I, I don't think so. No, no, I would, I would, uh, I would agree with that. Um, I'm going to talk about WrestleMania on the back half. Um, talk about Bad Bunny's performance, which, if you haven't seen, you know, and I'll, I'll say it now. Um, but we'll, we'll, I'll, I'll talk about WrestleMania on the back half, along with the Masters and, and everything else that happened this weekend. But that was the best, I think, celebrity outing I've ever seen from a celebrity. Ronda Rousey doesn't count because she was a UFC fighter, so she had and she. You know, it was an Olympic gold medalist in judo. Um, but that was, I mean, that that was the best thing I've ever seen a celebrity do in a WWE ring. I, I have not seen it. So I might have to watch some clips because I, I didn't I didn't see that. So I'll put yeah, that I, on my agenda here while we uh, while we record. Yeah. Um, and we'll talk about the Masters, obviously, in the conversation corner. But it's um, everybody's favorite segment returning by yourself um had someone dm me um over the weekend please do not talk about fingernails again um so <laughs> i guess i'll stop that okay uh, our fingernail segment's done i guess but let's dive right in because i feel like this could also be a hot take so this is something that a producer of star trek said now would 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 you put Star Trek in the universe as most popular property in the entertainment landscape? I would really have to sit down and think about it, but I mean, it would probably be top somewhere in the top five, top 10 realm. I don't think it's in the conversation for top, but it it's probably in there somewhere. Yeah, I think... I think it's in the top 10. I mean, it started before Star Wars, started before Harry Potter books were written. I, I would say Lord of the Rings is in that category as well, but that can be a good eliminator segment that we might even do on this episode because we're, we're, we're in the lull period. I don't like the lull period between when your brain is fried from March Madness, you go into Masters Week, you're super stoked, and then you have you know baseball, hockey, and... NBA all jumbled going down to the end of the regular season, which is fine. I, you know, I love those sports. I obviously love my Knicks, but I hate the lull period because kind of the end of regular season is where a lot of teams, especially in hockey and uh, NBA stop trying and baseball is way too early to get excited about anything and playoffs don't start till May, but well, no, June, June, June or May this year. I, I don't remember, but it starts later than normal, but it, it just feels the lull period. We're, we're getting there. We, we had a great weekend this weekend with the Masters, WrestleMania, and, of course, other sports. But it's, um, yeah, it, it's to that point. Luckily, though, we've talked about it before, the dog days of this uh, summer this year. <laughs> we're lucky because we have, like, two days where it's going to happen. And then we're into Olympic season for two weeks and then we're going to be a preseason football. So we're, we're saved in that sense. But anyway, getting sidetracked there. No. So Star Trek producer said, and I quote, Star Trek universe is just as popular 
as the Marvel Cinematic Universe. That feels completely out of left field, almost as a cheap shot. I know it's not meant to look like that, but it also feels kind of just completely wrong, right? Because Marvel Marvel is the most successful property in the world. And I think long, long 20, 30 years from now, 40, 50 years from now, when we're 70 and 80, Marvel still might be the most popular universe because you can continue to even reboot the same story because there's so many comic book versions of Captain America, Iron Man, whatever, et cetera, et cetera, that you can constantly reboot those. And I mean, look, man, they're launching a park in California in June. So that felt pretty, pretty just wrong. That feels like a huge sell. And that almost feels like when Martin Scorsese said that Marvel, <laughs> Marvel Universe films are not films, they're movies. <clears throat> I can see, now I think this argument might've been different, certainly in the 80s or 90s even, but now that we have Marvel on the big screen, I don't think there's any argument to be made. Star Trek certainly has its own successes and and that's one reason that we still know it today but as far as what is making money in these times you give me marvel every day i think that there are star trek people that would probably be upset by that but i just don't think it carries the same weight anymore it's kind of past its prime there i mean i i wouldn't say it's out of the question to think that something could bring it back there could be something of a revival but it's, it's going to be hard to get past Marvel in this day and age. I, I just don't see that happening. I don't see it happening either. And if you look at the Star Trek show from the 70s and 80s, Star Trek Next Generation, the original Star Trek, compared to when they rebooted it with the Star Trek movie in 2009, 11 and 13 or 15, I believe, were the three films they did where they had Spock and Captain Kirk, all young versions of themselves, uh, big reboot. Those were the most appealing Star Trek things I've seen. I do know that their show called Picard, which is on Paramount Plus, which we, me and you have both talked about, we're not gonna sign up for. It, it would take a miracle for us to sign up for that, considering how set we are in our streaming ways. but. I hear that it's one of the best TV shows out there right now. I think the last review I saw of it, someone gave it like a 92%. And that's pretty damn good. But that's not enough to get me to sign up for one service for one show. And I think it's kind of ridiculous that he said that, the producer of Star Trek, I mean, that's what Paramount Plus is going to be. They're going to try to create a whole Star Trek type of universe similar to Star Wars or Marvel on Paramount Plus. But I don't think that's I don't think that's what people look for these days. I think you'll find that to be tougher to do whenever you don't have the ability to expand on as many stories. What works in Marvel's favor, and you already mentioned it, but I think it's worth mentioning again, is the fact that Marvel has so many characters that they can do. And the fact that they have the comic books, everything from the past, 
it, it really just sets them up for success. Star Trek has a lot of characters. I, I don't know all of them. I'm not going to pretend to know all of them. But when you have a vast world of comic book and comic book characters like Marvel has, and I mean, even, even DC has, which, you know, is not part of this conversation, but just in the, in general, you can continue to expand on those stories and you can kind of make them what you want. But when, when it comes to, you know, when it comes to the Star Trek world, again, I think the way I would describe it is just past its prime. It's not that it's not popular. It's not that there's not Trekkies out there. It's not that there's not fans that are going to tune in. It's that I think when you look at the current state of everything in this world, you have to appreciate how big Marvel has gotten and surpassed some of the bigger properties of this world. Because you watch movies like Harry Potter or Lord of the Rings, ones that you even talked about, and you're like, man, these are so popular. You have all the, you know, the memorabilia and stuff that goes with it. But as a property as a whole, what Marvel is doing right now is far and above and beyond what many others are. I would probably lump Star Wars in there too because they're they may not be on the same they may not be the same one for one but they're kind of in that tier of their own where whatever they do people are watching and tuning into and there's really not a whole lot of pushback on either side of it agreed i will say to end this point i don't know if we'll ever see lord of the rings type success ever again with a movie franchise because as successful as marvel and star wars is to have three movies be nominated for Best Picture three years in a row, all by the same director, each one getting better than the last, and the third one winning Best Picture in 2003 at the Oscars. I don't care who you are. Those movies are ridiculously good, whether you have read the books or not. It's I don't know if we'll ever see that again. I feel like movie trilogies in general are just not meant to be good anymore I, I feel like those days are just done in general just just overall i i don't know if you'll i think we should just nix that idea in general please stop making sequels please stop making trilogies just make things that are worth watching once i we i would appreciate that more more than anything all right so my first one here has to do with something that happened over the weekend as well just to add on to the ever exciting sports weekend that was um I know you're not a huge baseball fan, but over the weekend, we had an extremely controversial call in a baseball game, Sunday night baseball. So two nights ago now, you may have saw it where Alec Baum, the third baseman for the Phillies, came home in the top of the ninth, never touched the plate, but was ruled safe. And that's okay on the initial call. But when you go to replay, which is designed to correct something like this, and with many different angles that conclude that he never did touch the plate. Then they conclude that he was still in fact safe. So I think this kind of begs the question then, uh, you know, about replay, but just to kind of further this argument a little bit more, are you buying or selling that in our lifetime, at some point in our lifetime, we will see a manufactured or robot type referee or umpire in professional sporting events? Also, I think if anything, we will see more leagues take to a XFL sky judge approach where mm -hmm. someone's meant to be impartial. And that's what they're all meant to do anyway. But it feels like the roars on this would be louder if it was a postseason game or a September game. But because it's happening April 10th, 11th, whatever it is, people kind of half care about it. I mean, baseball in, in April 
you know, it's still 30 to 40 degrees outside in Atlanta and you got some, but he, he definitely was not safe. I don't understand what the umpire saw there. It, it felt very Armando Galarraga, Jim Joyce, mm-hmm. where, what are we looking at here? And that was a different situation because replay didn't exist, but if replay existed, you would almost no cert like no question had the perfect game in that. Oh, 100%. And I just, I don't know what he saw there. It's mind boggling. And you know, you've made a bad call when national announcers like Matt Van Scourge and, and Alex Rodriguez are like, what did he see there? That That's what you know in any type of game, whether it's football, basketball, baseball, hockey, whatever you want to say, when you got a national game and you got announcers saying, I don't know about that call or how was that called or missed, whatever, that's when you know as a fan, you can take the fan out of it of, oh my gosh, you know, that was holding when it clearly wasn't. And you realize that that was a bad call. And that's what I think people also miss too. But why does replay exist in baseball? Why does replay exist in general if it's not going to get the call right is is my question. I mean, when it comes to really any sport, I mean, we saw and, you know, we talked with Dean Blandino about this, but, you know, the the rule of pass interference in the NFL and, and kind of how that replay didn't necessarily do that the justice that we thought it would. Um, but I think it also begs the question in a sport like baseball, you know, this is, this is two different examples, but if you've ever watched the strike calls of Angel Hernandez, you would understand why people are like, yeah, we need robot umps because it's different every single inning. It's a consistency factor that people are, are I think, mad about. And, and I don't think they're consistently making these bad calls at the plate. I think 99 times out of 100, everything is status quo and, and everything is right. But it's this one time that it happens that really you know, jolts this argument from people and, and I would actually buy it and, and actually for the exact same reason that you sell it, because I think Sky Judge is kind of an automated way of, of having a, another eye on the field. And I think that's the right move. Now, I also understand that being a referee, and, and this is something that we've beat to death too, has an element of human error. And again, a, another reason why we watch sports. I made a joke today to one of my colleagues. I said, well, you know, if we didn't have human error in sports, what would we complain about on Twitter when there's a pass interference call we don't agree with? I mean, maybe not, you know, maybe not a great argument, but it's the point of not everything's going to be perfect. But what you expect is that the right calls are made, or at least you can justify why it would go the other way as opposed to another one. This is one that you can't do that. It's clearly missed. You brought up Galarraga from the Tigers. That's another one that was clearly missed, again, pre-replay. But why does replay exist if it's not going to get the call right? That's my problem with it, and that's why I think you will see – that's why you'll see an advancement of this manufactured umpire-referee system in the the future. If it gets better, what are Skip and Shannon and – Stephen A and Max going to talk about every weekday morning. What are they going to have to argue about? Who's who's better, LeBron or MJ? I mean, don't they do that anyway? I feel. Yeah, I, feel I, I don't know. I I heard a story the other day where Undisputed's only averaging like eighty thousand people a day. You know how poor that is. That's like terrible. 
that's like some views on YouTube for one video in a day. So, I mean, isn't it kind of annoying though that it's the same? I mean, I'm not going to get into an argument here against why I don't like this kind of stuff, but if it's the same regurgitated stuff every single day and we just spin it in a different way, I, I wouldn't want to listen to it either. Mm. Although I will say if Skip and Stephen A ever got back together, I'd watch that. I think entertainment, but reboot another one. Yeah. So one of the top, it was wild. One of the top trends on Twitter and Instagram over the weekend had to deal with comic books and the DC universe. What do you think it involved? I don't know. I typically defer to something Batman if it's DC, because that's, number one, the one that I like, and also the one that seems to garner the most attention. You are correct. Make Batfleck was trending everywhere on Twitter and Instagram because, if you remember, Ben Affleck left the Batman suit behind because fans weren't happy, but after the Snyder Cut, it's never been more successful to have him as Batman and just a Batman in general. It's kind of mind-boggling, right? Because as a fan, you're like, how is this guy going to be Bruce Wayne? How is this guy going to be Batman? How is he going to live up to the franchise? Batman versus Superman doesn't do so well. Justice League movie version doesn't do so well. Snyder Cut comes out, the original Justice League, and blows everyone out of the water, and they want him to be Batman again. I just don't think it's going to happen, but it feels like one of those fan movements that could get stronger as months and maybe even years go by to convince him to do it again. I would like to reserve my judgment for Batman characters until I see Robert Pattinson's Batman. I know that's, I know that might be the wrong answer to some people. And I know people may not like that, but we've, we've talked about it on this show before, even just the trailer of his Batman looks very intriguing in the little bit that we saw so I'm going to reserve my judgment to know what I want for the next Batman until I see what will actually be the next Batman. And the only reason I say that is, is because I'm, I'm not going to admit to have seen Ben Affleck's Batman, only know what I've seen online and based on fan reactions other than this weekend, not great. So I, I want to be able to, I want to be able to see what this Robert Pattinson one looks like first. And I realized that we're kind of looking at different areas here because like Batman is part of Justice League. Is that right? I don't want to yes. anger our comic book fans here. Um, Batman is part of Justice League, but like Batman as what he is in other movies where he's just like the vigilante of justice. It's, it's, it's almost like two different Batmans, right? Because when you're fighting together against an evil, it's one thing, but like his enterprise and everything that he is, is is almost like a different, not a different world, but it just, it seems like they're just two different types of Batman. Maybe I'm wrong about that, but it just feels like it's supposed to be different in that regard, but I'm, I'm going to hold my judgment. I, I don't necessarily personally have anything against Ben Affleck's Batman, but I, I want to see the Robert Pattinson one before I start us saying we need somebody back or, we need to do this or that because I, I think there's a lot of potential there personally. Pattinson makes the seventh Batman counting TV and film West, Michael Keaton, 
Christian Bale, George Clooney, Val Kilmer, Ben Affleck, Pattinson. So there's only so many times you can do a movie different ways and tell the same story because the 90s Batmans were atrocious. I, I don't know if you ever saw the 90s Batmans, but the only two good ones were the Tim Burton ones. They were so unique. That, that makes sense, right? Tim Burton's a weird guy, weird guy and a weird director. The other two were atrocious. George Clooney's Batman was, I believe, at one point in time, one of the top 10 worst movies of all time. So, I mean, you can only go up from there. And, you know, when you follow Christian Bale, it's really hard to do anyway. So it wasn't Ben Affleck's fault. But the Christian Bale Batmans are looked at as not just like a comic book character, but I think almost a character piece in a way because people revere those so much, especially the Dark Knight with Heath, uh, with Heath Ledger as Joker. It's really hard to follow something like that. I'm one of those people because I actually just watched that again last weekend, last week, not long ago. It's been less than a week since I have last watched The Dark Knight and I mean, when, when you talk about movies, I've, I've actually told people, I've told my father, because he's a big movie person, I said, look, I know you're a big movie person. I know you don't necessarily like superhero movies. You have to watch this one because it's the, the to me, it's the cream of the crop whenever it comes to that type of movie. And, and I think following up Christian Bale is difficult, but I think some of that is in, in terms of the villains too. But I think Christian Bale's Batman, I don't know if he's underrated, but I think people put a lot of stock in the Joker. They put a lot of stock in Bane because they love the, the villains of those movies. But I, I'm interested to see what comes next in this Batman universe, just because it seems like it goes in, in hills and valleys based on how everybody reacts to it. We'll, we'll see what happens, but I'm, I'm actually in on the Robert Pattinson Batman. I'll sell the Ben Affleck Batman for now, only until I see what comes next in this universe with Robert Pattinson. All right, so I have a couple more football ones here for the buy or sell. Um, coming up on NFL draft time, one of my favorite times of the year. Always exciting, always fun to speculate. So one thing we've talked about here before, and, and I made a prediction that said that five quarterbacks will be taken in the first round. That doesn't even seem like a prediction anymore. It seems like an inevitability uh, with Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, Zach Wilson, Trey Lance. Did I say just... Um, Mac Jones, the other one. So I, I have everybody there. Um, my question to you is, are you buying or selling that a sixth quarterback could go in the first round of this year's draft now? Some of the names to look at, such as David Mills from Stanford has been creeping into some mock drafts. Kyle Trask, whom a lot of people have a second round grade on, but could he move into the first round? Or maybe even a wild card like Kellen Mond. Is there a sixth quarterback going in the first round or should we just expect the normal five? The normal five, I, I can't believe you think five are going to begin with. I, I don't know if you saw this over the weekend, but you see Sheriff had to come out and make an apology video explaining why to Jets fans they should not take Zach Wilson. Did you see that video? I, I did, but I think it's ridiculous that he should have to because that's literally what people get paid to do. It's like tell you not to do this or do this. I just stop being soft. When you reach for quarterbacks, you know what it feels like. It feels like Christian Ponder. 
and I don't mean to beat on him, but he's a perfect example where a lot of people thought he was a second round guy. Minnesota takes him at, at, I believe it was number 12 or 13. You reach for a guy like that. And I'm sure Christian's a great guy. I I've met Sam before I've met Sam Ponder. Um, but I just, <laughs> it just, it feels like when you're reaching, you really reach and you need to develop quarterbacks and get them at lower rates, I believe, in the draft versus, like, think about it. Zach Wilson, we've talked, we talked with Tom Luganville this past fall, right? We felt this could come up around draft time this spring, but did either one of us, me or you, expect him to be the second guy taken off the board? No, I don't think so. And it's kind of remarkable and it feels like if he struggles his first year in New York, which any Jet quarterback in the last 50 years, that's not Joe Montana has. Joe Montana, Joe Namath, excuse me. If they had Joe Montana, they'd be a lot uh, happier, right? <laughs> more, maybe some more Super Bowls in New York. But <laughs> if he struggles that first year, it is going to be brutal. It's not just going to be like, hey, let's see what happens. Let's wait around. If he struggles, it'll be some of the most brutal reaction I think you've seen in New York media in a long time because they trade Darnold, right? He was supposed to be the guy. Get rid of him because they know they're going to take Zach Wilson. And, oh, gosh, I mean, you come off guys like Mark Sanchez, Tim Tebow, Ryan Fitzpatrick. You know, you had Chad Chad, uh, Henney, I believe, in there. Yeah, Greg McElroy, Sam Darnold, Geno Smith. If he struggles, it's not going to be just a typical New York Jet struggling quarterback. It's going to be a lot more amplified because they got rid of who they thought was supposed to be the guy to begin with, who they got at number three just three years ago. I think that almost that that definitely heightens the situation. But I think that almost I think there's two sides of this that, that you're going to have to pay attention to when it comes to the Jets. Watch what Sam Darnold does in Carolina and watch what Zach Wilson does with the Jets. Pretty, pretty plain and simple. Zach, I, I just I just don't think Zach Wilson is an NFL quarterback. I realize that, you know, there are things that I, I don't know. I'm certainly not at these pro days. I'm not watching all the tape like people are. But just based on what I've seen, I don't think he will be the, the big-time NFL quarterback. I've said it on here before. I'll say it again, and, and I'll say it all the way up until week one of this season. I would rather have Justin Fields. I think Justin Fields looks more ready. I think Justin Fields has a better arm. Um, I mean, now, there, there's also the history of folks coming out of Ohio State that people would allude to and say, well, would you still rather have Cardell Jones or Dwayne Haskins or any names like that? But – I just feel like this could be different. Now, I think I really think the only slam dunk in this draft, a guy that's going to be successful, is Trevor Lawrence. I, I I don't know if there's another quarterback that I would look at and say, I'm willing to wager my entire franchise on this guy. And I think doing it at number two with Zach Wilson is definitely a reach. But I also think that this quarterback conundrum could lead to a sixth quarterback being drafted in the first round. Somebody trades back in. We've seen it before. The Ravens did it a couple years ago with Lamar Jackson. Trade back, excuse me, trade back into the first round. Take a quarterback, 31st, 32nd overall. It's not out of the question, 
But my problem is, is I don't know if either of the two through five are worth taking where they're slotted to go rather than arguing about could Kyle Trask go 32nd overall. It seems like there's going to be a lot of reaching at the quarterback position in the, in the 2021 draft. Heard people say that the Eagles might take Trey Lance. That doesn't bone well. Why? Well, look at the last North Dakota State quarterback that we got. Hmm. Turned out pretty well. He's now with the Indianapolis Colts. I mean, it, yeah, it uh, turned out great. So this is kind of the most secretive thing I think I've seen a company do in a long time. So if you don't know, Game of Thrones' 10th anniversary was this past weekend. So mm -hmm. it's been 10 years since the first season came out. Congratulations. HBO, in the most quiet move of all time, dropped a never-before-seen special. And this was definitely filmed pre-COVID. Pre-COVID, it was only on the DVD box set, apparently, on the final season of the DVD box set for people who bought that. And it's just basically a reunion panel. Questions from Conan O'Brien, bringing up different cast members, very just easy interview type stuff. And I'm watching that today. I felt sad. I felt sad because two reasons. First, I've never seen something go from a supernova like that to it's completely almost forgotten in, in TV and media film history because it was so so poorly done the final season and of course you don't know that at the time when you're watching this now if you buy the box set the final eight season dvd you know you're one of those random people who liked the final season for whatever reason but i felt sad because hbo is trying to honor game of thrones for its success of 10 years and i know what it did for the for media and hollywood as a whole i mean there was game of thrones oreos i had Okay, I had Game of Thrones uh, soda bottles, Mountain Dew, Game of Thrones, White Walker, whatever. But I felt sad, and I want to buy it for the fact that I respect Game of Thrones as the property, but I'm selling it because it's so sad that they could not hype up something like this that had never been seen before. Because let's be honest, DVD sales are probably not that outrageous so putting it on a streaming service where you know 15 20 million people subscribe puts obviously way more numbers on it i'm sure there's people watching game of thrones right now as we speak and recording this for the first time but <laughs> i feel sad because they can't hype up something like this and promote it the way they want to because it would just bring up all these people being pissed off again about how the show ended i feel like I almost feel like it's beating a dead horse in some sense because it's over. It's not coming back, right? We, we know that this is not going anywhere. We know that there's not another season in the works, that it, it's, it's over. People were not happy about how it ended. So why, even if something has you know been released, box set, whatever it is, 
why even try to keep going? What's the, what's the, what's the benefit of this? Because in, in the terms that you describe, basically they're very quiet about this because they don't, I would have hypothesized the reason that they're very quiet about this is because they don't want the attention behind it because they don't want people to negatively react to it. So then why even do it? What, what's the point in doing it? If, if you're just going to, if it's just going to garner negative feedback from people and the people that have seen the box set, those are the diehard fans. You don't own a box set of something just because you're like, yeah, maybe I'll watch it. I, I own the office box set because I love the office. That's the only one that I have. That's, that's who is watching this. Those people are going to be okay with it and say, yeah, this is fine. But those people that are mad and upset or number you know, two, don't buy DVDs. I don't know if they necessarily care. And if you air it, air it once, but don't, don't continue to, don't continue to, you know, say like, oh, you know, just so you know, this is out. People, people are, they, they don't care anymore. I was so involved in Game of Thrones to where I was listening to books. I was listening to podcasts. I was watching interviews. You know, everything that you can develop inside a property, I was taking advantage of it. And you know what kind of sucked the most watching this today is the fact that this is air, you know, it's on the box set, right? But it gets put on HBO Max this weekend. So obviously it's going to have a whole new set of eyes. And I do believe if people find out about this over the next couple of weeks, because it is the 10 year anniversary and they're trying to honor something like that, not just HBO, but Warner Brothers, it's going to get bashed ridiculously online. But I'm watching people like Sophie Turner, Kit Harrington, Jason Momoa having drinks, people crying, you know, Conan O'Brien standing up and, and applauding each different cast member at certain points during the special. And it, it almost reminds you that if they had the successful ending, it could have been seen as one of the greatest things, not just TV, but media. That's what Sopranos and Breaking Bad is looked at. And I know you've not seen either of those shows, but Breaking Bad, oh my gosh, Breaking Bad is revolutionary. And it's still going with spinoffs because the way it ended. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Like Game of Thrones, their new spinoffs, it's going to be looked at in a completely different light. And I'll watch those. But people are going to be so cautious because, oh gosh, well, if they butchered the last one, what are they going to do to this spinoff? And I don't know. I, I Part of me knows what it meant to to Hollywood, but the other part of me knows, gosh, could you just imagine if you would have done it right? I think where they put themselves in the box is doing it in six episodes, breaking a season, the three episodes and three episodes. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, why did you do that? <laughs> I think the best way to end a show, obviously, if you have a great ending to a show, people are going to remember it. But I think the best way to avoid this and to end a show, if you're not sure how to end it, end it exactly how everyone expects it to end. It ended in a way that people are like, okay, that's what I thought would happen. I know I allude to it a lot, but I think of a show like The Office. The Office wasn't some big... I don't think it was, you know, the, the greatest ending ever. Nobody's sitting around being like, that's how it was. It ended, it ended fine. And that ending from the office makes it look looked at in a completely different light because it's not a terrible ending. 
but the way that it ended and having that little Michael Scott, Steve Carell cameo during Dwight's wedding, you look at the show in a completely different light. Exactly. So if you don't know how to end it, or, or if you're just going to, I don't think many shows are doing what Game of Thrones did and basically just throw something together because they don't have a, a way to do it. Um, you just, you know, wait. I think people would rather see something that's worth watching or something that fits a little bit more of the bill or again, just end it exactly how people think it should end. There are other shows that have the poor examples of the way that they ended, but I, I don't think what, I think the last thing you should do is ended in a completely different way than people would expect it to end. Yeah. You know, fun fact, if you go on YouTube, I, I don't want to harp on it too long, but if you do go on YouTube and type in Game of Thrones Rage, there are videos on YouTube that I've watched before, people breaking lamps and like tables and this ridiculous amount of stuff over the ending. I was just mad. I wasn't breaking stuff, but those videos are always crazy to watch. I think breaking stuff might be a bit of an exaggeration based on the way that a TV show ends. Um, but I, I can definitely understand why people would be mad. Again, never watched it, never saw it, can't necessarily relate to how it all ended. But I can definitely understand why people would be like, well, that's just not right. Because you spend a lot of time on it. That's what TV shows are, at least were. You spend a lot of time with these things and you really want them to end well or, or have the right ending or, you know, fall into that categorization of something that you love. And then when you have something like that at the end, like you said, people almost look at it differently. They're like, well, I'm only going to watch up to a certain season because I don't necessarily want to deal with this because you just want to pretend that whatever happened at the end just didn't happen. All right. Well, now that Game of Thrones is over again and it didn't end in the right way again, let's have <laughs> one more. So um, big news in the NFL yesterday, at least, you know, for, for a football fan is the, I'm going to call it air quotes, retirement of Julian Edelman. Um, I, I, I think that he is actually probably done, but I know what, <laughs> I know the Tom Brady effect that he has on people. So I'm not going <laughs> to, I'm not going to go completely out of line there. Um, one thing that's been thrown around a lot today is Julian Edelman's Hall of Fame resume. Now, let me just give you some stats here. So Julian Edelman, um, I'm, I'm not going to pull up the exact stats, but I want you to just know where he ranks all time with his rankings. Now, I understand some of this is different, and there are players from other eras that fall into different categories, but all time in receptions. Now, understand he played in the past heavy era. I, I know you know this, but played in the past heavy era. He is 75th all time in receptions. He is 156th all time in receiving yards. And I believe 261st all time in receiving touchdowns. But his claim to fame is his postseason performances. Second all time in most categories, if not first behind. Jerry Rice. Shocking. <laughs> is Julian Edelman a Hall of Famer or not? He's the best trick play quarterback I've ever seen. Another name on Renfrew. I, you know, it's crazy. People don't talk about this when they talk about the 28-3 collapse of the Falcons and the GOAT bringing them from the abyss, <laughs> you know, winning in overtime. But that catch that Julian Edelman had in the fourth quarter in that Super Bowl, if you don't remember it, just YouTube it. It's unbelievable. He makes this catch over two Falcons, basically keeping the ball an inch from the ground 
And you're like, okay, that's the moment I knew they were going to win the game because those kind of plays shape games. And at that point, they'd already had the momentum on their side, but then they score the touchdown to get it into overtime on that drive. And it's like, okay, this is ball game. <laughs> and you look at some of the stuff he did playing against Baltimore with Tom, playing against Indianapolis with Andrew Luck. Like the guy, the guy was automatic coming out of a slant route, catching a 15-yard and either going 60 or just doing a nice little curl route on, in the red zone. And look, they released him because they think he's going to retire. But in the back of my mind, as much as they want him to retire a Patriot, the reason I'm laughing is because it almost feels like this is setting up for him to rejoin Gronk and Tom at some point, maybe not in the summer, but some point in the middle of the season, kind of like Gronk did. So he's not playing a full season and it wouldn't shock me because he's great friends with Tom. He's great friends with Gronk. Obviously they're still best friends. I don't think it would shock anyone. So looking at his hall of fame resume, here's my problem with it. I think that the, the criteria that I kind of go on when it comes as a, a Hall of Famer is that of the era that you played in. Because you're, you can't necessarily evaluate players from the 2000s and the 1930s to one another, right? I, I hate this argument. You hear this all the time with people who argue Hall of Fame stuff. And people are like, well, if you look at what Red Grange's numbers were in the 1920s and, and this guy's not, we're, we're not, we're, no, that's not how this works. This is an error by error thing. Please stop that. When you play for the Patriots, you are going to be in the playoffs every single year. I don't know if that necessarily makes it the most impressive thing in the world that he's second all time in most of these categories, because he's probably played and I don't have this stat in front of me. He's probably played in more playoff games than most receivers ever have either. So I don't know if that necessarily says, Oh no, absolutely not. You shouldn't be in the hall of fame because obviously he's a great postseason performer, Super Bowl MVP, three-time Super Bowl champion. But I, I don't think playing for the Patriots and, and saying you've been in the playoffs every year of your career necessarily equates to oh yeah you're one of the best receivers ever because your regular season production is nowhere near what your postseason production is I don't think one necessarily equates the other and I'll give you an example of this Lynn Swan for the Steelers there's a very great argument out there for why he shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame as as a receiver because a lot of his big time plays were in the postseason I don't necessarily hate that argument he's not one of the you know the, the superstar receivers he had a lot of great catches but a lot of his most notable moments are in the playoffs. So I don't think Julian Edelman's a Hall of Famer. I think it also helps when you play with Tom Brady for the bulk of your career. But there's there's going to be an argument from somewhere or someone about him that says, oh, well, you can't overlook the postseason. And, and I, I just don't know if that's a fair argument. And the Patriots 40 minutes ago just came out with a press release making it official from their standpoint. Julian Edelman announces retirement. We'll see what happens going forward. I do want to give a quick shout out to our friend Adnan Burke. Ryan, do you know what Adnan is going to be taking over on top of the many duties he already has? 
I saw something about MLB Network, but remind me because I could be off base there. So he's going to continue hosting MLB Network. He's going to continue doing his cinephile podcast on the Meadow Lark Media Network with Levitard and Friends. He's going to continue doing uh, the GM Shuffle podcast with Michael Lombardi. But as of Monday, he is now the official voice of Monday Night Raw every Monday at 8 p.m. So the guy's going to be busy during baseball season on top of doing Raw every Monday. So congratulations adding in on that. That's, that's pretty amazing. But, you know, what has a lot of great music is wrestling. You, you remember entrances like Stone Cold, The Glass Shattering, and The Rock, and you smell what The Rock is cooking. But you can find that in more of your favorite entrances or just music in general, like Bad Bunny from this past weekend on Amazon Music, my favorite service to listen to music. So let me let me ask because again I didn't I didn't see it but did Bad Bunny record his own entrance music because I feel like you almost have to if you're an artist. His entrance music is from his song called Booker T that he did. Okay, so he's he's very much ingrained in the wrestling world then. <laughs> if you're if you're um, if your entrance is Booker T, um, the one that I remember is actually there was a lot of good ones. Uh, Limp Biscuit had the song Rollin', which was the Undertaker's Dead Man or um, American they, Badass entrance. Yeah. Like a weird time for the Undertaker, but it was still okay because like the motorcycle was cool. So whatever. Do you remember the one? It was it was a cane entrance and it was called Slow Chemical. You if if not, you have to look it up. But it's it's, it's like it is a good one. Yeah. A great one. Definitely one of my favorites, but like I would even just listen to an Undertaker entrance to get excited, just like a regular Dead Man entrance, because like there's something chilling about it that gets me excited. Mm. I don't know. A lot of great music in the wrestling world. You can even listen to John Cena. Who knew? Tons of <laughs> tons of material out there. But do that all on Amazon Music. You know what I'm excited for? So this Friday, when our next episode comes out, The Offspring are going to have a new album out. If, if you said that 2021 was going to be the year of the offspring, I may not have believed you, but we, we might be, uh, we might be in that time frame. So you can find all your favorite wrestling entrances. You can find the new offspring album. You can find all of that on Amazon music for $7.99 a month stream over. I think it's 50, 60 some million songs. I have not sat down to count them all, but I know that there's tens of millions of songs on Amazon music. So, but when you download Go to the link, use the link, get Amazon music.com backslash two Ryan sports to sign up today. You can find your favorite playlist, your favorite artists, or you can create those playlists. What we might have to do is create a playlist for the people and, and just throw it out there to them and say, check this out. So we'll, we'll see what we can work with that. But when you sign up for Amazon music, make sure you're using the link, get Amazon music.com backslash to Ryan sports to start listening today. And in the honor of Boston, listen to you're going up to Boston on Amazon music or listening to this theme song from cheers. I know some people might say what listen to the theme song from cheers, but that's, that is one of the maybe only TV theme songs other than maybe fresh Prince of Bel-Air that you can listen to. And it's actually a decent song. For all those out there that don't know that the Fresh Prince is theme song is longer, please go look it up right now because there's like what, like five extra lines in it, or maybe not five, but there's extra lines. 
And you can find that on Amazon Music. Absolutely. All right. So, Masters WrestleMania recap. Masters. Man, that was special to see. <laughs> it was kind of anticlimactic once the 16th hole happened with Xander Shopley, though. If you didn't watch it live or if you haven't seen clips of it, basically, Xander Shopley had a meltdown at the 16th hole yesterday, which I didn't think he could do at a par three. But he did. He had a uh, triple bogey, dropping back from one shot back to dropping down to seven under. Just a massive, colossal mistake that you cannot have. He could have had a chance to get back and tie it, but he was really the only person once. Jordan Spieth had a chance for a little bit. Jordan Spieth had a chance for a little bit. Will Zalatoris had a – you know, he had a really quiet, solid day as far as – it goes and a great weekend, but he was, he was really close. He had a great chance. Unfortunately, Hideki just putting the ball really well. And man, that was special to see him win a green jacket, especially being the low amateur win from the masters 10 years ago in 2011. And they kept talking about it, but I don't, maybe you can help me connect the dots here. Um, I, I'm a big golf guy, but they keep talking about how, significant it was that he won the masters when the olympics is going to be in tokyo i don't see the connect there because the olympics were in london in 2012 and andy murray was in the wimbledon final and people kind of just passed over it i don't understand why that kept coming up versus the fact that he's the first player ever of asian descent to win a major, to win the Masters. Interesting pick of him went viral today on the internet, though, walking through the Atlanta airport, just kind of casually carrying his green jacket like it's a hoodie over his arm. But great Masters Sunday, fantastic, fantastic Sunday. Kind of a little less drama than normal. You really only had three guys that had a chance to win the whole thing on Sunday. Speed was in contention for a little bit, just a tad bit. But for the most part, it was really just Will Zalatoris, Hideki Matsuyama, Xander Shoffley. Poor Xander Shoffley. Uh, two top five finishes and back-to-back masters. Can't get the job done. So I'm reading something here, just thinking about the Olympics. Golf is, is back in the Olympics, and this will only be the second time in 112 years. So I I wonder if something along those lines is is why, because they'll have the Masters champion from the home country, the host country, Um, which, I mean, let's not understate how big of a win that is. As you mentioned, the first player um, from Japan. And and I mean, that I wouldn't necessarily call him an upset win like I would wanna see, but if if you're going to have somebody with the, the lesser odds win, you want it to be somebody like that where there's that story and that picture of him in the, in the airport is, is, is very, it's both funny, but it's also, I, I saw somebody quoted and say, this is his last day among, among the normal people, right? Because people are going to start to recognize him now and be like, Oh yeah, that's, that's the master's winner. That's Matsuyama. That's the guy you can't carry around a green jacket and people aren't just going to you know, not walk up to you. I'm sure a lot of pictures were probably taken, um, in, in certain regards, but also when you're on a 6.15 a.m. flight, 
usually bodes well for you to to be a little bit less um what's the word i'm looking for a little bit less pressured into that you know not as many people up at 6 15 a.m on a, on a monday for a flight so but a lot of respect to him because obviously it was um, a great weekend uh one of my other favorite gifts to come out of the weekend was the bow to the course because i i feel like I feel like as big as the Masters is and as big as this weekend is in golf, it's it's a very appropriate and just unique thing that, that people get to experience. Not everybody gets to play in this. And, and of course, there's a lot of names in it, but the bout of the course, almost ceremonial across all nationalities, across all people, because it is such a significant moment. But to see like to see somebody like Matsuyama win is, is a big deal. I think it's very exciting and, and kind of, again, what I root for at the Masters. It's easy to look at guys like Tiger and Phil Mickelson that have won multiple times, but you love to see those first-time winners. You root for that, um, you know, regardless of how other folks' weekends went, like a bogey on or a triple bogey on a par three, which sounds more like me golfing, but that might even still be better than me. Anyway, point is, big weekend, great weekend. I love seeing it. I also love the picture of him in the airport. That's a, that's just, again, it's not necessarily funny, but you'll, you'll never, um, he'll never be able to experience that ever again. The quietness is gone. He was one of the guys we told you to watch out for though. Mm -hmm. weekend. At the time he was, I believe third, third or second. We told you Justin Rose could not possibly maintain <laughs> the lead all weekend it's only been done four times in the masters in the last 45 years i think and two of those are obviously in the last 15 20 years jordan spieth in 2015 tiger woods in 2000 so it's very 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 rare for someone who leads on masters day one at the end of day one to lead wire to wire it's just it's a rarity it's like seeing a natural haley's comet you just don't see it that often. It's pretty rare. You'd almost rather not lead based on history. You would almost rather have an average day, day one, figure it all out, and then come back days two through four and, and really dominate. And 20, well, now 26 out of the last 31 champions in Masters have come in the final pairing. So the, the two guys that tee off last, which yesterday was Shockley and Hideki Matsuyama. Will Zalatoris looks like he had a better shot than Xander Shoffley most of the day, especially when Xander Shoffley was plus three on the front nine yesterday. And then on the back nine is where he did really well until that part, um, part three triple bogey at 16. But after that, it was just like, okay, can I fast forward to the 18, see Hideki hit the, <laughs> the winning putt so we can give him the green jacket? Because at that point, there was just nothing left. And, and it, it was very anticlimactic kind of similar to the Dustin Johnson win, if you want to be honest, from last fall. But good Masters, solid weekend, great weekend. WrestleMania, it was, eh, it was okay. Uh, it was one of the more less remember memorable WrestleManias that I've watched in all the years I've watched WrestleMania. Really Bad Bunny uh, brought down the house. Fans were standing up. Because his performance was so great. I mean, he was dropping suplexes. He was jumping off the top rope. He was everything. That, most of the time, celebrities, when they get in the ring, it's very, okay, do uh, a suplex, you know, take take a 
body slam, basic wrestling stuff that they teach people who are starting out, and that that is it. None of that was the case for him. And then the biggest highlight, it's kind of unbelievable, but the way they broke it up this year, two nights, night one, their main event was Sasha Banks and Bianca Belair. Two ladies headlining the main event for a women's championship, but both being of color before the match started, before they rang the bell, they were completely out of character. And you don't really see that in the ring, obviously. And they were, they were trying to not cry because they knew how important it was and people were standing up. So those were the two most important things. It was kind of awkward to see NWO, all those guys, you know, their 60s, 70s. But uh, yeah, interesting WrestleMania weekend. Significantly more aches and pains whenever they do their their emotions like they would back in the yeah. 90s. But, you know, stands to reason. But I I actually didn't realize until Saturday that it was over two nights. I, I don't know how I missed that. I don't know if that was just my ignorance toward WrestleMania, but I had no idea that it was over two nights. Is this the first year that they've done that or has that been... They did it last year because of pandemic. They had everything recorded. No match was live, which makes sense, right? They're trying to get all that into when they were legitimately the only any kind of athletic thing going on in the world. So that made sense. But it was kind of cool. It broke it up from being six hours, six and a half to seven hours, what it's been in the last five, six years, which is a long Sunday, by the way, starting at 4 p.m. and ending at like midnight, but doing it three hours and three hours. I think it definitely bodes well in that regard, and it's it's a way to keep eyes on it over multiple days. Um, regarding Bad Bunny, though, I think people, I think just in the scope of wrestling in general, I think people forget how athletic of a sport wrestling is because we... <sighs> I'm not going to ruin it for anybody. And, you know, I hate to be this person, but we all know wrestling is, is scripted, right? It's, it's more of a reality. It's not, you know, they're not actually punching each other, but the ability to do those athletic feats does not just happen. These folks train for years to do it, go through a lot of aches and pain, literal aches and pains. This is not, you know, you're not just walking up there being like, Oh yeah, I can do this flip off the top rope or, you know, who would be comfortable jumping off the top? I know I wouldn't be in doing something like that. But just in the in the clips that I watched there, that's impressive for somebody who doesn't necessarily have the the same training as some of these other, you know, tenured superstars of the wrestling world. You have to appreciate that. I I certainly do. Again, I didn't watch it, but I think I think something has to be said for the athleticism that he showed in doing it because you're right. A lot of other people look more stoic, maybe more reserved, but I, I don't know. I think, I think that was impressive for somebody who doesn't have that background per se. Those two matches are the most talked about things. It's kind of interesting how WWE works that WrestleMania is kind of really the only time of the year, which makes sense that they get media attention from people like CBS, NBC, ESPN, so on and so forth, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But those two matches are talked about as the most memorable things of WrestleMania weekend. And it, it was amazing, dude. I mean, when uh, Bianca Belair won the championship, of course, you know, those results are scripted as well. But 
they I thought they were going to hug in the ring, but there's a behind the scenes moment where they hug after and they're both just sobbing in each other's arms because they realize what kind of history they just accomplished. But it was kind of it's cool to see those kind of moments and people realize that they're making history. Uh, a, a moment that went viral. <laughs> it, it shook the internet up. Uh, it was even on Sports Center today when I was flipping through ESPN this morning at like seven. This uh, girl named Mandy Rose. There was a rain delay on Saturday night. And it's a very, very, very funny video. But the camera captures it. She falls during her entrance music. She falls flat on her butt because of the rain being on the ramp. And Sports Center played it this morning. Uh, Fox uh, Sports One. Uh, one of my friends sent me that where he saw it. So, just kind of funny that that moment went viral. And she she doesn't like she she doesn't know what to do when she falls down. So she just gets back up, acts like nothing happens, and you know sticks with the character and the whole thing. And but she took a big bump on that ramp. What a sad thing because I actually, now one thing I did see, I did see the, um, like we, we talked about it a little bit last week, but like how WrestleMania kind of accentuates the entrances for the wrestlers because it's the big stage and they want to have it as, as big as possible. I thought that the stage and, and everything around it actually looked really good mm. when, when it came to WrestleMania. I thought all of that looked good. I didn't see that clip, but on the biggest stage, of your career, of your professional career in, in the biggest moment to do something like that, you, you almost just have to roll with it, mm. right? You can't, you can't let it, <laughs> you can't let it get to you because I mean, can you imagine if one of the, uh, you know, not that, not that she's not a, a prominent wrestler, but can you imagine if like, I don't know, Shawn Michaels would have fell during a, during an entrance <laughs> into WrestleMania or something, you'd, you'd never, you would never hear the end of it because it would be like, oh yeah, remember when Shawn Michaels fell whenever he was, it, it just, you would never forget it. It was trending worldwide for two days on Twitter and Instagram. Right. That's how that's how funny it is. And, and all I'll say to wrap this up, uh, those two matches I talked about were fantastic, but on top of the Hideki Matsuyama winning the Masters this weekend, there was, there was obviously moments in baseball, the call that we talked about, but mm-hmm. a moment that I think will stick with me for the rest of the year and it, and it won't get attention because it's obviously not looked at as a main entity just like you know in, in nba nfl whatever but it was the first time wwe had fans in over a year and a half and they play the america beautiful instead of the national anthem at wrestlemania vince mcmahon went out there welcomed all the fans back and there were uh star superstars like wrestlers and stuff crying on stage because that's how much it meant to them and uh triple h was crying vince shed a couple tears it was pretty amazing to see um knowing that that's how much it means to them to have them back i think even just on a smaller scale people again don't realize how much fan driven the, the sport of wrestling is because you and I know, because we have the, um, I can't think of the name. What's the local one that we have that runs through Kaiser and Cumberland all the time? Oh, I, I don't, I don't remember. But I mean. Championship wrestling, probably. Elite something. I, I can't remember all the name. I used to work with the the mom, that the two sons that run it. I can't remember the name of it. I'm embarrassed. I Whatever. Even those events, even the smaller events are so fan driven because people are so into it. I've seen people at 
you know, football games and such that just sit on their phones. And I mean, to each their own. I'm not going to criticize people for doing it. But in the wrestling shows that I've been to, everyone is always into it. Everyone is bought into what is happening in that little in that little square. Every single second of every single match, people are into that. So I think to have fans back at wrestling is, is, I agree, it's a much bigger deal than what people are making it out to be. I think it's because we have fans at other major sporting events now. So people are looking at it as less of a, you know, less of a big deal. That It's not really a thing anymore. All oh, football had fans. Oh, you know, the Rangers are at full capacity, whatever. Point is, I don't know if, I don't know if there are many other sports that are as fan driven as wrestling. I think when you're back to full capacity in, in soccer stadiums, um, you know, maybe some college venues, whenever they get back to full capacity for basketball or football, it'll be much more noticeable. But I, I think for something like wrestling that is, has such that fan presence, because think about like all the entrances. I, I, and even in my short time wrestling, watching wrestling, I think about it. When you watch like guys walk down or, or girls walk down the aisle and people are just they either look at of the disgust whenever they walk down, if they're a heel or like the cheering and the sign. I mean, that's like, that's the thing in yeah. wrestling. That's a big deal. Cause I remember in the wrestling video games, they made sure that the fans were a little bit more uh, prominent because that's like a big deal in wrestling. So it's great that they're back in the WWE. It, it's kind of coming across the board now too. more States are opening up. So hopefully this is not, not a one-time thing that this is something that we continue to see. And that all sports are back to full capacity, maybe by fall or, or next spring, hopefully. So do we want to wrap up with Eliminator, talking about the best properties? I love it. I actually love this idea. Okay. I got, I got so out. do Hollywood properties as a whole, we, we don't have to limit it to five, but you know, we'll start with what we think's the top properties and then eliminate it. Okay, so my top properties, no, no particular order. Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, Marvel, DC, Harry Potter, Game of Thrones, Breaking Bad. I mean, I guess I can put Office in there. There's a reason that NBC paid $500 million for it to get exclusive streaming rights. And then Pixar. I, I would say Pixar. I don't know what another proper... I mean, Netflix doesn't really count because... There's a lot of individual shows, but Netflix as a property, I don't think is looked at kind of the same. That's more of a service. So I'll, I'll, I'll limit it to those nine. I'd like to throw a couple other ones in that I wrote down that might be a little interesting. Um, definitely keep yours because I, I won't be able to remember all of that. Short-term memory <laughs> is real. Um now, these might sound odd, and, and you may even disagree with me very much, but that's okay. I wrote down Sesame Street. I know that seems yeah. odd, but like that's one, of, that's one of those ones almost like Star Trek, that it's probably past its prime. But with everything that they have, because I feel like you still – I feel like I still see a ton of Elmo stuff and Cookie Monster stuff. Like they're still prominent, and like that's still a big deal. Um I know it's not the same thing, but like you could maybe lump Muppets in with that, like the cartoon, like it's a different property, but still. Um, I actually wrote down The Simpsons too, mm. because as the as the longest running cartoon show, or maybe even one of the longest running shows in America, that I feel like that still has weight. 
Um, and I actually wrote down SpongeBob too. I, I know that one probably a little bit lesser, but considering how big it is in the scope of like what Nickelodeon has and kind of how it's branched out, but because I mean, people still wear SpongeBob stuff all the time, even people our age, because it's such a big deal. So it may not be in our top five when we narrow this down, but I feel like those three are at least worth a mention because they're a little bit, you know, they're different, but they're still probably huge properties in general. I would also put if like we're putting it in like just a whole like property general sense, whether it's ho like Hollywood in general, Grand Theft Auto is probably on that list because people play Grand Theft Auto and Call of Duty all the time. So I'll limit yeah. it to, I'll, I'll take it down to my five, probably Lord of the Rings still. I, I guess I would keep Grand Theft Auto, Call of Duty, combine those together. Star Wars, Marvel, and I mean... I would, pro I would probably still say Game of Thrones. As, as bad as it, it, you know, the final season was, people just are like still wear merchandise and still have, you know, cups and, and all this kind of stuff and, you know, licensing, whatever. I'm writing these down because if I don't write these down, I will forget. Yeah. Sesame Street's a good one. I just feel like in the scope of, of history, it's, it's like underrated somehow because like it's, it's on, I mean, I realized there was like the whole fight to keep Sesame street. I'm not getting into that, but there was like a whole generation of people that maybe even two that grew up on Sesame street. Like it, it's on your TV, whether you want it to be or not. So that's a, and honestly, I think the Simpsons, I, I would like to see the number kind of on those two. I say SpongeBob, but I kind of throw that one out because that's not of the same longevity. But like Sesame Street and Simpsons would be interesting because they have such long television runs. I would like to see how they compare to each other in the property realm. But of the five that we have, because I'm, I'm going to go with your five, um, you know, on this too, because if I was going to eliminate them, I, I would definitely get it down to Marvel and Star Wars, which I think is probably what we'll ultimately do <laughs> in, um, in, in yours too. But I think the, the scope of GTA is interesting and Call of Duty as well, because there's a lot, of, a lot of money to be made, especially in online gaming now, the way that games are done, where you have to like buy unlockables and, and folks will spend money to do that. Like that is a big deal to be able to do that. And, and that's just with video games in general. I wouldn't, I wouldn't rule out as much as people don't like it, I wouldn't rule out something like Madden in that world either. Now, I don't think it's of that world of GTA or Call of Duty that have a, a much larger scope rather than just one league. But there is a there is a large market for people in the in that video game realm. And I think we'll probably hear some of that with one of our upcoming interviews too. But just a, just a lot to be had in that in that space. I think I would eliminate Lord of the Rings, Game of Thrones, leaving it to GTA, Call of Duty, Star Wars, and Marvel. I mean, GTA 5 has been out for like six, seven years, or uh, it feels maybe even longer than that. But, I mean, people still play that all the time, and people play Call of Duty on Twitch every day. Like, you can look and you can see like 60,000 people watching someone play Call of Duty. I think I'll probably keep it to Star Wars and Marvel, though, because those places, along with Harry Potter, we didn't talk about Harry Potter, but those those places have theme parks. Right. And 
just massive merchandise sales. Well, and the, the other thing that I would ask about too, now this is not something that we've talked about. It's clearly not in this realm, but I would be interested to see how quick it, it like in a, in a split second made money would be Fortnite because I realize it's not the same of like the property value, but how quick did it come up? And everyone was like, bam, Fortnite. Like, I feel like it didn't exist. And all of a sudden it was the biggest thing in the world. That doesn't necessarily mean long-term success, but in the video game realm, I feel like everybody was playing Fortnite overnight. It was in Avengers Endgame. So it's not as big as Marvel. That's what we've determined from this. Marvel still wins in this, which I I think if I was going to pick, I mean, as, as big as a lot of these are, and I'm sure there's some that we've missed too. So if we have missed some, please comment and let us know. I just feel like Marvel is still the biggest one, followed very closely by Star Wars. And, and we even said it on the front side of the show too. I feel like they almost need their own tier of, of where they are in the property world, just because of everything that they have. Like you mentioned, theme parks. Um, I think Harry Potter has, I don't think it's run its course because it's still very popular. It's, but I would probably call that one third because Star Wars and, and you know, Marvel are still consistently making a lot of, you know, a lot of new material and have more material coming out. I think it's unfair. And, and maybe you mentioned it and I just forgot, but like DC is, is, is in here somewhere too. They're not quite as big, but, but they're in this conversation of the, of the world of the top 10. I don't know where they fall into it because I still think Marvel is bigger based on everything, but I'm, I'm going to give it to Marvel followed not too far by star Wars. I feel like you could point to a lot of people and be like name comic book characters from Marvel and they would go like 10, 11 deep and name comic book characters from DC and they'd be like Superman, Batman and Wonder Woman. And then they wouldn't know anyone else. Spider-Man DC. Uh, Marvel. Marvel. But, I have three. That's the only three I know then. Yeah. Um, so another good eliminator. Uh, but if they want to find out, Ryan, more segments and great upcoming guests, I mean, great upcoming guests, where are they going to do that? How are they going to do that? How are they going to stay up to date with us? Well, like Ryan said, we have great upcoming guests. We have some great interviews in the works that you'll hear very soon. But to keep up to date with the show, to make sure that you're listening to the latest episodes, that can be done on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Completely up to you which platform you use. Everybody has their own favorite operating system. So find us on Apple or Spotify to Ryan Sports Show. But to keep up with the social content, announcements, anything else regarding the show on social media, find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. We had a TikTok yesterday. Um, I, I feel like more people can weigh in on this about the cheese sandwiches and kind of your favorite cheese sandwich. Let, let me ask you, Ryan, what's yours? What, what's, what's your go-to cheese sandwich or cheese on a sandwich? I think it has to be a Philly cheese steak or a grilled cheese. Mm -hmm. Have you ever done a provolone grilled cheese? I have not. I'm, I'm very strange when it comes to grilled cheeses because I like to experiment with different cheeses. So I'll just throw different stuff in there to get different flavors or just do like, I've even done like pepper jack grilled cheeses for whatever reason, just to switch it up. I mean, American, I think is the standard when it comes to grilled cheeses, but 
I also want the people to decide that. So what, you know, what's your favorite cheese on a sandwich, but you can only get this content on our social media on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. weigh in, comment, let us know how you're feeling. You can also do that on Apple or Spotify too. Make sure that you've rated it, reviewed it. If you're enjoying it, let us know how you feel about the show. Um, and, and again, tell us like stuff's falling off my desk. Tell us your favorite cheese on a sandwich, your favorite cheese base sandwich, just your favorite cheese in general. Just, we, we need to know. That's going to be a fun eliminator. That will be a fun eliminator, and we'll see everyone uh, Friday. Have a good week, everybody.